You are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of the Locked On Rays podcast is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the app and join Ulysses and I this week to get in on the Tampa Bay Rays action and conversation. Be sure to follow our accounts there at Kevin Weiss and Ulysses. That's K-E-V-I-N-W-E-I-S-S and U-L-I-S-E-S. On today's show, we have a very special guest, and that is Jeff Ellis, who is the host of the Locked On Indians podcast. He's also the resident MLB draft expert for the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, This is part one of a part two conversation where he breaks down in detail the Rays 2021 draft class and more. Without further ado, here's Jeff. Uh, Jeff, thank you for joining us. Uh, w- one question I, I have to start off: Are you ha- have you already prepared? Are you already preparing for the 2022 draft? Are you already mocking that up uh, a-, a week removed from the 21 draft? Uh, you know, honestly, like the week before the draft, I was up at uh, some Northwoods games, and I don't know if I saw anyone who got drafted there. But you know, Northwoods is the second best wood bat league. Uh, I, I actually live in Wisconsin, so I'm like. 15 minutes from a, a local stadium. So I was already kind of doing some pre-scouting on some more than likely day, day three types, but yeah, I was doing, uh, you know, there's the possibility some of those players would be drafted. There were players who have played well in the Cape and in summer leagues that have helped out their stock uh, before the draft. So I was like, Oh, it's a little for this year. It could be a little for next year. Uh, let's see. We had what Ohio state, Kent state, Sacramento state, uh, just some universities that came up uh, top of my head when I was watching that game. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, Jeff, let's get right into it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of time to hash out the 2022 draft, but of course the 21 draft now uh, it's been about a week now since things officially wrapped up and uh, players are starting to sign left and right and getting into uh, the Tampa Bay Rays specifically um, first off, what are your thoughts on uh, who the Rays took with their top pick, Carson Williams, a, a prep mid, a prep middle infielder out of uh, California? You know, I was a little bit higher on him than others. Um, I know I had him at 48. Now I know Rays fans are thinking it's an overdraft. And I'll say this. I was looking if I wrote up in my write-up on him. Okay, see, I did. I mentioned this. There was a scout that told me that he was a top 20 player in the entire class. And that he saw everything as a 55 grade tool for him. Uh, as early as like I'm trying to think April or so, I started to hear there was talk that, you know, there were teams that were picking at the top of the first round that were really hoping to get him in round two that were just annoyed because they felt like he had gotten discovered and it wasn't going to happen. Uh, there were a lot of teams that were kind of in that 40s range that were hoping to get Carson Williams. So for as much as people have at points kind of uh, looked at the pick relative draft ranking wise. He's just one of those players where the, the league consensus was much higher on him than what the, uh, the armchair quarterback, what the, the people who do what I do uh, thought. It's the same thing with like Tyler Black, who went a few picks later to the Brewers. I mean, I, 
I thought it was going to be the high guy on black. Keith law ended up being about 10 spots higher, but he was another one where uh, the consensus seemed to be a lot higher than where people were slotting him. That's always going to be a way to a degree. There is a lot of having been around and in and talked to people. You do get a lot of group think. And in some respects, I feel like I do my best work when I'm not listening to the scouts when I allow myself to back off and not like listen to the same loose lips that are talking to everyone else. Uh, so I, I think with Williams though, there was a consensus that he was viewed higher by teams than he was by draft rankings. Okay. Interesting. Um, and looking at the raised draft as a whole, um, maybe it's Williams, maybe it's somebody else. Do you have, uh, a favorite pick from who the Rays took? Was there a guy like, yeah, you know what? I think they really, they, they really may have found something there, or this was a really good pick here. So the, the only player they drafted that was ranked in my top 53 was uh, Carson Williams. So my favorite pick and a player who, you know, I had some late cuts uh, and two of my last two cuts were a pair of Pac-12 players. One went to the Rangers at the top of the first and one went to, excuse me, the Rays at the back of it. And that's uh, Kyle Manzardo from Washington State. Because you could, he's the very classic to me profile of you're either going to look at him at what he isn't and discount him probably too much, or you look at him for what he's done and maybe give him a proper or potentially overvalue him because the Pac 12, it's a solid conference, but it's definitely solidly the third best conference uh, in college baseball. What I liked about him, uh, good contact rates. Uh, good. Something that's talked on my show is that in the lower minors in college, bat pip isn't really a luck stat, but it shows me a player who has good contact ability. It's actually, I always want to give credit. Chris Mitchell, who used to do Kato for fan graphs, did all the legwork on that to show that it's a great predictive stat. So I looked at that. I saw the small strikeout totals. I saw the, um, you know, a walk percentage over 10, saw some power starting to emerge. And I just like the profile there. Good contact skills, some power. He's, is he going to be a star? No, but is he a chance to be like an overall like 55 bat? Yeah, and we've seen the Rays in particular kind of roll with, you know, platoon shifts at first. I don't know if shift is the word I want, but just platoons in general at first, trying to get the best possible uh, player out there in each situation. And yeah, Manzardo was going to be a guy who was going to go lower because he's uh, – you know, first base only. He's technically undersized at six foot one, but I also just like a guy who just turned 21 uh, at the beginning or no middle of July. I'm sorry. Just turned 21. Let me check when we're recording this two days ago. Mm. Uh, he's from Idaho, which if you follow the draft at all, basically if we're doing draft bingo, you're looking to get a player from the Dakotas, uh, Vermont, Idaho, and Montana are probably the five hardest places, maybe Alaska in there. That's definitely the bottom six. You'll say almost nobody is scouting Idaho. So here's a player who was underscouted from Idaho, young for his class, good production. And again, teams are like, well, he's a first base only more than likely. And he's undersized and that's going to push him down boards. But to other teams, you might look at it as there's growth potential. Like he could get bigger. He could get stronger. Is there a chance for plus hit plus power? Maybe. Uh, I, I won't say no. I, he's exactly the type of college guy you kind of want to bet on a little extra growth in. 
Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. Choose from salmon, whitefish, or a combination, and every month there are different specials to explore. Each shipment contains premium wild-caught, individually-wrapped portions of delicious, delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and super easy to cook. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be, always wild, never farmed or modified, and it contains no antibiotics. And right now you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash MLB. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash MLB for $15 off your first box. Um, as far as Williams and Manzardo, are there any like MLB comps for those guys, or is it really kind of difficult to compare players that have just been drafted to, you know, ready-made major leaguers, so to speak? Uh, you know, I always feel like the lazy comp that will probably come up with Carson Williams. I don't know if it's happened yet is probably, um, Seager. Okay. Just because, uh, I feel like, I believe Carson Williams is six, three. I could be wrong. This is just top of my head, uh, stuff. I know I should have that uh, directly in front of me, but he's a bigger shortstop. Most people think he will stick there. Uh, whereas I know with, uh, Seeker, Corey Seeker back in the day, he was always viewed. He'd move off the position. Yeah, he's a six foot two uh, California kid. So, yeah, there's a chance. And, you know, turned 18, 18 relatively recently. Again, both those picks being uh, very age model friendly. And so I don't know if he's really that power guy. Like, I, I just see above average skills across the board. Um, I wonder if he could be less Corey and more Kyle Seeger. Like, if you're just looking for like a bat profile. I know Kyle is a third baseman for his entire career, but that, that might make a little more sense. Uh, Manzardo, I'm just struggling. I'll be honest. Uh, comps aren't always my best game. Right. And I'm trying to think of like the undersized uh, left-handed first baseman who's, you know, more hit to more hit than power. And my mind is going blank right now, but it's, it, there's a lot of ways where that profile right. is successful. Look, I'll put it like this. I know, I, I don't know if these are comps necessarily, but the Rays have certainly had their fair share of uh, first basemen that are more hit for average than power. I think of Casey Kochman in the past and James Loney as a couple that they've they've had previously. So who knows with that, but. He's got a little more upside. Uh, it's one of my running gags on the Lockdown Indians podcast is uh, the Casey Kochman got eye surgery is one of our great spring stories. Every year, someone gets the equivalent of Casey Kochman got LASIK and now he is going to be a better player. So Indians fans know the, uh, the Casey Kochmans of the world quite well. How about that? How about that? Uh, okay, Jeff. So we, we talked about a couple of position players here in Williams and Manzardo, but were there any arms that the Rays took that really stick out in your mind? So I've, uh, I used to live in Ohio, which should be no surprise that I hosted uh, locked because I'm hosting not in the past. I currently am hosting lockdown Indians and I lived pretty close to Kent state and Ohio is not the best baseball state. Um, the prep ranks have been a little, down there was a time where it was fantastic uh, i don't think we had a prep player from ohio drafted this past year i could be wrong but so i would spend a lot of time at kent because the other problem was honestly a lot of three programs in the state also went away uh just they canceled baseball 
So I would go to Kent. I'd watch a ton of Mac games. And I got to see Patrick Leatherman pitch a bunch. Now, I also have this theory, and I need to sit down some point in time and just really dig into it. And it's totally anecdotal. But I feel like younger brothers tend to be better than older brothers. And Patrick's younger brother, Ian, also ended up at Central Michigan. I believe he started out College of Charleston before transferring there. And he had a good, what was it, fastball slider. I didn't get to see him pitch as much as I got to see his brother. I got to see his brother all the time because his brother, after his freshman year, kind of put his name on the map. And I want to say he was like in that Plesak, Lauer kind of age grouping or maybe a year younger. So it was a, it was a big time in the Mac for arms. And his younger brother presents better. Now he is undersized. He is five foot 11. But for a cold weather arm, he's bounced around a bit. Uh, he just seems like a raised type, like the type of guy that they could pack some muscle and some strength on work on the pitch mix and maybe turn into another opener type. Uh, I, I also, what Patrick Wicklander did for Arkansas this past year kind of made him stand out uh, being that good in the SEC. Most people just look at the ERA being barely over two and that's, yes, that is phenomenal. Uh, but it's, he missed bats. He didn't hurt himself with walks. He is an undersized uh, left-handed pitcher, kind of more your soft tossing lefty. But what team doesn't need more left-handed pitching? Uh, the Indians haven't had a reliable left-handed pitcher since they brought Scott Casimir back from the dead almost a decade ago. Teams always need lefties. If he can be a reliable back-end lefty, he definitely stood out for me in that class for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I was going to uh, pull up the just the Rays draft tracker very mm -hmm. quickly, but those are the names that really grabbed me on the... Uh, just top of my head type of names were those ones. I wanted to do a quick dive and see if there was anyone else uh, from the class that I knew a ton about. I remember going through it and being like, there's some players I kind of know, but there was not Bobby Seymour was the other really interesting guy mm. just because he had some talk. I oh, know that's not the right Seymour. I'm thinking a different team who had a Seymour, my bad. Bobby Seymour is the big first baseman who is kind of the opposite of Manzardo. I want to say off the top of my head, a little more power, a little less average, some contact issues. And the big thing there is always Wake Forest is a band box. So you always get nervous about any production out of there because it's not the best. Uh, Sean Mullen was part of that great UCLA class, which I felt like had almost like 15 guys drafted. And then after that, it's a lot of, you know, tr trusting your, your scouts, they definitely did a little digging, went to some places. Like I can't remember ever seeing anyone drafted from Columbia College, Missouri before. You know, uh, we talked about Central Michigan, University of Central Missouri, not necessarily the usual landing spots, but they, that's a solid class. It's not necessarily um, my favorite one. Uh, I know people are probably asking about Cooper Kenny because he was the, uh, the second pick they made very much the typical raise. He's a hit first type of guy. I just, the track record of high school second baseman is horrible. And it just, if a player has already been moved to second base in high school, something's up and there's been several high picks. Uh, so that have not panned out. So I just always, whenever I see anyone who's a prep second baseman already, I'm like, what's going on? Uh, maybe it'll be proven wrong. But when I'm seeing that already in play, that kind of already uh, biases me towards that player. 
Uh, I don't know if there's anything there besides the hit tool. Uh, that's basically the question with him for me. But it felt like a very raised draft in general. And it wasn't necessarily my favorite. Like I said, it's not one of the worst, though. Okay, understood. Hey, at least uh, Cooper Kinney got paid a little bit. He got his 2.1 mil for now. Cool so we'll see if, yeah, how about that? Very good with that. Look, and I'm not, Jeff, I'm not, uh, I'm far from uh, your expertise and I'm not a draft guru by any means. Look, I, I give the Rays an A as far as some of the names they picked. I mean, you, you have a Spikes, you have a Leatherman, you have a Fields, you have a Workman. That, that's good enough for me. But all joking aside, Jeff, I know you mentioned that it's not you know your favorite class per se. And I know it's really tough to give out draft grades, but is there a general you know B, B minus, C plus that you're kind of looking at uh, when you when you scour all 21 picks of the Rays? You know, it's, it, I would just, I, I try to avoid the grades because they always come back to haunt yeah. you, but it's kind of like average. It's, it's passing. Now, some, the interesting thing with my own history with the race and the draft is we are either perfectly aligned or diametrically opposed. Uh, some years we are very much in agreement and they feel like they're drafting just from my board. And there's other years where we have no agreements at all and they're doing their own thing. And both have been successful for them. So it it is a situation where at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, these weren't the players that I loved, but the Rays do this as well as anyone. So yes, I give it an average based on me being one person and who I got to see the videos, talking to the handful of people I trust, um, you know, looking at various measures that I kind of use to cut off and decide, okay, if a player can't do this already, I'm, I'm, because I think that's an important thing. I think for anyone who has done something for 15 plus years, think about how hard it is. Even though everyone's like, oh, they're young kids. A 20-year-old kid has been playing baseball likely for at least a decade. Try to break a habit you've been doing right, for a right. decade that's been the central tenet of your life. Uh, it's not as easy as people think. So uh, there's the flexibility that sometimes we can't judge or know about. But I, like I said, it's it's, you know, it's not the Baltimore Orioles where I'm just like, I have no idea what this team did. Uh, and it's not, you know, the Pirates who, you know, Henry Davis was my number one player in this class. So when you take my number one player uh, and get the talent they got, like it, I used to, when I was at Scout and 24-7, I would kind of rank in a division, like just who are my favorites. I wouldn't do grades. I would just rank them out in order from top to bottom. And in the East, they wouldn't be the bottom they wouldn't be the top. They'd probably be squarely in the middle of the uh, the AL East. This is the time to celebrate freedom of choice. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors and lots of choices? Uh, there's a little bit of something for everyone. There's coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream, German chocolate, so many other flavors as well. And check out these macros. We're talking 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, just four to five grams of sugar, and just four to five grams of net carbs. And by the way, they're all amazing flavors. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. So go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D, the numerals 1-5, and that'll get you 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Fully Loaded Chew. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long cut, and pouches that give you the same pack 
dip, spit, and buzz you're used to without tobacco. It's available in nine flavors. Fully Loaded Chew is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine available. And Fully Loaded Chew is offering Locked On Team listeners a special offer right now. You can try a can for just $1. That's right, just $1. So go to FullyLoadedChew.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, just $1 and free shipping if you use the code Locked On at checkout. The next time you go for a dip, be sure to make it Fully Loaded Chew, FullyLoadedChew.com. As far as all 30 teams go, um, is there a, a team and organization that you thought just knocked it out of the park and was like, okay, I think they really did good here. They, they might be, you know, above and beyond the, the other teams that drafted or, or just, you know, maybe a, a team or two that you really thought they did, they did really well this year. So I just kind of was doing a quick look at classes. I can say that honestly, the Rays would be third in that division uh, in okay. terms of draft rank. So they would be right in the middle, uh, knocked it out of the park. You know, I mentioned the pirates. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I feel like is unfair that draft evaluators do. And I talked about this in my write-up over, uh, MLB draft now.blogspot.com. Uh, when 24 seven decided to get rid of all of baseball, I just go, well, I'm just going to throw it up on a random blog spot. So that's where my writing goes for now. Uh, but you have to, teams have to take into account the idea of monetary cost and value. And I feel like we as evaluators need to do that as well. So mm-hmm. when I looked at Henry Davis, Uh, I put him as my number one player back in March and he stayed there. Uh, Part of it was production. Part of it was knowing he was going to be significantly cheaper than other players. And there's a cost benefit analysis to drafting uh, a player who's going to save you two to 3 million. And if you're telling me I can get Jack Leiter or I can get Henry Davis plus Anthony Solometto plus Lonnie White, like that's a no brainer for me. Like I don't even, I'm running up, to do what the pirates did specifically because even in a vac, if it was a vacuum free of money, I would have Davis higher than lighter anyways, in my personal opinion. So I just thought what Pittsburgh did was, was phenomenal. Uh, the Marlins falling into Cleo Watson. I re- he's, he's undersized and he's got a fiery personality. And there were some people who were saying negative things because, you know, this is a guy who will yell and get emotional. And I think, if you are thinking it's a negative that someone is emotional and that invested in being a winner, then I think you need to reevaluate how you're judging players. Uh, and Joe Mack, I mean, catchers are so risky, risky. They're riskier than arms. Like a, a prep catcher is the riskiest position you can draft, but Joe Mack, I'm not going to say he's bust proof because that's not, it's hundred percent, not the case, but he has a profile that's a little bit safer than a lot of prep catchers we see. So I like what they did at the top there. So those teams really, you know, those are the ones the Giants were also kind of uh, early on. Uh, they took some interesting flyers on talent and players. Uh, they seem to kept, keep finding arms that have some upside if you trust your ability to coach them up. Uh, the Brewers were another team. I mean, I was very high on Freilich and Black. And then they had my favorite draft pick in the entire draft. Uh, in the 20th round when they drafted a 28-year-old just because I'd never seen a 28-year-old get drafted in my entire life. He's the oldest player drafted in draft history. Six foot seven, 185-pound pitcher. Uh, I immediately started doing research there. Uh, but 
those ones were there. The Reds, I also like. They had the Reds, though, had the capital to go out and really perform. So those were the good. Uh, the bad for me is Baltimore because I they went under slot and I liked Colton Kowser. I had him eighth or ninth on my final big board. Uh, so like it's a player I liked. He was high on my board, but you draft him to get four point nine million to save you know, what, 1.28 million. Connor Norby, who I thought was a great value. I had him in the 30s. So when they took him in the second round, I was like, great. He's underslotted as well at 1.7. I don't know where they spent their money. I have this sinking suspicion that the Orioles spent under slot in this draft. They're going to spend less than their slot values because I don't know where it went. I have no idea how this team is going to get to slot when they're already like 1.4 under and they didn't take any crazy swings on day three, in my opinion. So I, the, that just stood out. Cause I was like, I think they might come out under slot and that is uh, ridiculous. If that happens that they should be uh, you know, that there should be many negative things written. And on top of that, what team drafts a pitcher whose name is arm buster. <laughs> it's just, I'm okay. So that's arm Brewster, but still, it is very close to Arm Buster. And uh, I'm sure Justin Arm Brewster is a fine pitcher, but come on, that that's just not a name for a pitcher to have. So I, I, that one definitely stood out. And I didn't love the Phillies, uh, to be honest, because I'm, again, pretty risk adverse when I evaluate things. Uh, so Andrew Painter, I had lower on my board. Uh, Ethan Wilson, I had lower on my board relative to where they took him. And they didn't have a whole lot of players that really jumped off. Uh, Griff McGarry was a guy who, if you watch the College World Series, looked great, but I'm not taking those few games. Plus, you know, the fact is the University of Virginia and the entire history of that program, one of the top programs in college baseball, has such bad development and teaches such bad traits to players that they've never developed a starting pitcher. There's been no starting pitcher in the history of University of Virginia to be drafted and make it in the big leagues. Fifth highest best player by war from university of Virginia is Brandon Geyer. And you can just look at recent picks like Derek Fisher and Mike Pappy, who were first round picks or even big prospects who uh, failed to even be backups in the big leagues. Uh, they there's that's you, people get mad at me and I bring it up, but I think it's very important to look at because there are programs, many of them that are not out there looking at the best interest of the players. They're about winning. I mean, almost no program is the best interest of its players, but you need to know and teams know uh, programs that are teaching bad habits because it's going to be successful in college or are doing overuse. Like uh, the Indians had a pitcher they drafted who pitched, I think like 130 innings, 130 innings, nope, 130 pitches in one game. And then the next day they used him in relief. Uh, so things like that are going to scare teams off and teams know that. So yeah, I just kind of looked at, at Philly and, and Baltimore were not my favorites and uh, you know, Milwaukee, Tampa, and Miami really kind of stood out as the best of the best. Interesting. Okay, Jeff. And um, you know, you mentioned the uh the the Brewers taking that six foot seven, six foot eight pitcher in the 21st round. I think it was a former basketball player and then transitioned yes. uh, to baseball, of course. Um, outside of that, was there another pick of yours that was like, yeah, this is my favorite pick, or this is a really this is a really fun or really solid pick here? Any any other um picks that really stand out to you? Um, from from your vantage point, you know, I talked about Tyler Black. I just I was a huge fan of his. 
in general, a Canadian kid who went to Wright State. Now, Wright State, for those who don't know, it is an institution in Ohio. So maybe someone's going to be like, you know, your bias is showing. But in my defense, Wright State produced Sean Murphy, Peyton Burdick, if you follow prospects recently, Seth Gray. Uh, It's been a really good program in terms of just development for what is a, I mean, a, a bottom probably a bottom four division for baseball in general uh, conference wise for level of competition. Uh, I don't know if anyone else from that conference had a player drafted this past weekend or past week, probably, but I'm probably forgetting someone, but you know, it's not a big pro uh, conference and they just keep turning out. Uh, so Tyler Black is again, use age-based models, young for the class, good, uh, good walk ratio to strikeouts some doubles pop. And when he faced Vanderbilt, he played very well. So he had some performance against top end competition and he fit the age relative models. So he was one of those players I really liked. And then, uh, you know, I had South Ray like seventh on my board because one of the Cardinal sins I see every year with college baseball and drafting is what you do in May is more important than what you do in February or March. And Sal Freilich was really hot at the start of the year. Now, in fairness, at the start of the year, you often face your weakest competition. But it's not like he completely fell off a cliff. He was still solid. He just wasn't hitting for the power that got people excited. He's also a five foot nine outfielder. But I thought just based on what he'd shown in overall athleticism, he was one of those guys I still thought was a top 10 talent. So the Brewers getting both him and Black is one of the reasons that uh, that class stood out for me. I... Uh, you know, I also really liked the Cardinals in round two, taking Josh uh, Baez. He's might have been the youngest player in the class, uh, six foot three outfielder slash right handed pitcher who was up to, I want to say like 95, 96 on the mound. But his exit velocity at perfect game over the summer was 99th point seventh fourth percent. His bat speed was 97.7th percentile. Super young, cold weather player, just oodles of upside. I didn't think the gap between him and like Benny Montgomery who went pick nine to the Rockies was that big for him to be someone who went more mid of the second round. Okay. That wraps up part one of our conversation with Jeff Ellis. Uh, Part two will be running tomorrow. Uh, Remember to tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of the Locked on Bets podcast. In the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Please stay safe and we'll talk to you tomorrow.